Welcome to Awards Radar, the podcast, a weekly discussion of the awards races, Hollywood news, and the films you should have on your radar. Here's your host, Joey Magidson. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Awards Radar podcast. Sure to be a very calm, not at all weird show considering uh, many of, we all have to be up very early tomorrow and we're all very tired. So yeah, this is going to be an interesting one. Steve's already falling asleep. Sounds like you're purring more than snoring, but either way, hang out with a cat for a little, a kitten for a little while, and look what happens. How is Doctor Pussy, by the way? Yeah, uh, Doctor Pussy is excellent. Yeah, it's the the most fun cat I've ever had, and I've had several, and most fun cat I've ever met. Just, right. uh, yeah, it's, it's, I've, I've heard I've heard that about Doctor Pussy. Yeah, Doctor <laughs> Pussy can be fun. That's what they say, and and they're right. Nine out of ten doctors recommend. If you you like dogs, you like Dr. Pussy. And if you like women. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) This is what I was talking about a minute and five seconds ago. Uh, Steve and Miles are here, back together. Um, We are going to talk more about Guardians of the Galaxy. Spoiler warnings at some point, probably. We'll see how the conversation goes. Um, We have a bunch of questions. And uh, we'll see if we can avoid any tangents just because... We are all a little loopy, but we'll see what happens. Uh, first off, Miles, anything new besides uh, having seen Guardians? Um, nah, I saw it twice. <laughs> okay. right. it, it, I did have very complicated thoughts on it, so I, the second screening genuinely did help me kind of crystallize a few things in my mind. Excellent. All right. Steve, just TV? Uh, just TV. TV, yes. I have a few films I'm going to watch, uh, Renfield being one of them. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually at the point of almost being caught up with my television. I've been doing just tons of interviews and, mm. you know, I like to, to watch as much as possible, which means I've been cranking out full series, full seasons and full series uh, mm. to line up some of these interviews and to, uh, and it's it's been worth it though. The conversations oh. have been excellent and they're coming to awards radar uh all within the probably the next four to six weeks well the majority of them it depends if uh if some of these people lock in their nominations then will be they may be extended so yes we'll um, see. i i will tell uh you dear listener slash reader if you uh were to go in the back end of the website and please don't you don't belong there uh you would see uh, a lot of interviews and drafts we yes. have a lot coming. And and many of them are from the same thing. We get a lot of, uh, you know, we don't tend to get one person from a show, especially if it's a show we like. But there's a nice variety. Um, I was telling uh, Miles and Steve Lawfare about someone I locked in for later this week that maybe Very next week. It's a good, Yeah, it's a good one. We, have, one. we have a couple others. Um, and then we're in conversations about some others. You know, there's it's there's only so much time is that's, the thing. Yeah, that's the thing. Well, we have a we have. You know, some uh, we have a ton of above the line, but we also have some a ton of a below the line coming in because once we get past, you know, the big push for the a- actors, actresses, so on and so forth, um, then we fill in the gaps with uh, opening up the opportunities for writers. Well, unfortunately, no writers right now, but um, production design, directors, uh, hair, makeup, everything. So there'll be a v- wide variety of incredible conversations but also not just a variety of subject but also the different series um that, that we'll be covering as well 
Oh, and if we could fit in more, you know, the, I, I, we have so many requests. It's insane, and and we're trying to get to all of them because honestly, if you if you go to the site and give them a listen or a watch or a read, you'll see just how much uh, goes into them and the passion of the interviewee um, really comes through. And I haven't had one interview yet this season that didn't make me appreciate the the series that they worked on even more than I had before. So cool. Um, we've had a couple that have actually fallen, uh, fallen through because of the writer strike, um, which yeah. no, no, no shade. Like, listen, if you're an actor or a writer or a director, right. If you also write, it is fully within your, your realm of like, I would even argue maybe responsibility to be like, I don't want to promote a studio's work right now, even if it's mine. Like I'll, I'll, I'll I won't say who it is, but someone who is a writer, director, and star of something. So they wrote the movie, they directed the movie, they're starring in it, was going to do an interview and asked basically if they could not. And how can you say no? Yeah. Like, especially <laughs> Miles and I did rant for about a half hour on the last episode about this. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I fully respect that. I had a big one lined up. I won't say who because it's still not, you know, I'm hoping the writer's strike does end before Emmy season does. But one of my most anticipated and I was waiting for the news to come in and the news came in. So fingers crossed, you know, and I said, Hey, you know what? I support, I support yeah. your decision and I support the, the writers. So do your thing. But you know, of course I'm disappointed, but damn it, Hollywood step up your game. Totally. And I mean, still, we, we still have some good stuff. I mean, just this week on the site, we had a bunch. Um, I interviewed uh, mm-hmm. two of the stars from Blackberry, which comes out this week, which um, I quite enjoyed that movie. Miles, I think you're into, you're interested in that one, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I've heard a lot of good things about uh, Glenn Howerton in particular. Oh, yeah. It's uh, I really like the fact that him and Jay, they're both. And I said this in the interview that just went up. You know, they're, they're bigger in terms of their comedy, right? They, they, they tend to go broad. Sure. And I think so much of what makes the movie work is the comedy is very narrow and, and low key and, and sort of rage based in, in Glenn's case. You know, the yelling, screaming, cursing kind of comedy, but sure. not. But not like the horrible bosses kind of like just huge. It's it's very focused. I think it makes it so much better. He actually um, I don't want to I don't want to go too far in this, but I think when I do my like middle of the year awards, he might be in my on my supporting actor ballot. Oh, wow. in there. he's really good. It's really, really good. Um, also, when he's been waiting for that big like non-comedy breakout role i mean as as far back as like a decade ago when he was the second choice for star lord he's he's very clearly been trying to break out of that for a while now totally and like don't get me wrong all three of the all four of the leads on it's always sunny are doing quite well for themselves and have other totally totally but um the, the if you look at who's done what you have one of them who made a fox show right and it and it did okay but wasn't the same kind of hit so you have one one option of try to do a second TV show while you're balancing the first one. And I and imagine writing slash co-producing. You have another who has another show that I think is a collaboration maybe with all of them, but also is like involved in a soccer team, like bought a soccer team. And then you have another who waits and kind of just takes a, a baity role. And then you have another who makes his directorial debut the same week as the other person's movie comes out. So... It's oh, actually yeah. a pretty good, pretty good week for the old, Always Sunny crew. Yeah, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, uh, you also, I think, are into the idea of Fool's Paradise, right? 
Oh, yeah, totally. No, like modern Chaplin riff. Absolutely here for it. I the review will be up around the same time as this. So the, the embargo will be up. I really liked it. And I fully oh, yeah? expect I fully expect it to get like mixed reviews because it is a very specific type of comedy. But I can, I think, count on one hand how many good Hollywood satires we've had in a, in a while. And they used to be fairly commonplace, right? Sure. Hollywood, Hollywood loved to make a comedy about Hollywood. And as they got progressively, for lack of a better term, less good and they made no money, they stopped being made. But I like this one. I also think Charlie Day, solid director, solid writer. He is fantastic playing his Chaplin-esque role. Like, it's not, it's deceptively hard, I think, especially for the, the, the pathos of it. You can be a bumbling comedic uh, fool very easily, I think. He sure. does it very well, but you can do that. But to, to get emotions out there, I mean, that was, that was the, the charm of Chaplin, right? Was that you felt for the character. Right. And I, and I, I think you do, it, I mean, if the movie works for you and it worked for me, you do feel for this character, even as like things are just sort of happening to him. It's, it's very funny and, and very big. So it is a broad comedy, but there's little bits in there that are not um, such so broad. Uh, my conversation with Ken Jong will be up on Friday. So we will you'll be able to hear a little bit more about that. So those are things that I've I've seen, I guess. And I watched one or two other things recently for uh, upcoming interviews. The one thing I didn't see. I would have liked to, but I, it's apparently like it's a tiny like distributor who I, it's like you have to know like the secret code to get to in contact with them. I would have watched Hypnotic, the Robert Rodriguez movie with Ben Affleck. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Not, not, like, the be- not the best reviews coming out on that one. No, like but, uh, mixed to bad, I would say, but not like not over at pans. But I think I, I think hard. a lot of like this should have been better given the people involved. Exactly. And like there's moments that must be good enough to make them go, oh, you guys, like, I know why you made this. But also it's like Ketchup Studios or something is putting it out. And I have never heard of them. Well, it might be it might be one of Robert Rodriguez's many shell production companies. My guess is it's that, which is funny because he specifically was talking, I think, recently about his kids movies or streamers. Like he'll make sure they're on streamers, but like stuff for adults, he'll happily put in the theaters. But he puts it out basically out of like a truck parked on the side of the road. It's a choice. I don't know. I, I will eventually, I'm sure, catch up to it and uh, and see it. But for now, can't talk about it. So let's uh, let's take a question and we'll build up to Guardians. Because if you're if you're leery of spoilers, we'll we'll see how far we want to veer away from that. So let me find one that is uh, not about that. All right. Let's, uh, let's get l- the last bits of uh, strike-related talk out of the way. Robert, our own Robert Hamer, says, um, Senator Bernie Sanders recently observed that last year, eight Hollywood CEOs made nearly $800 million, yet pay for TV writers has fallen by 23% over the last 10 years. He says the WGA strike is in full swing, and it seems like everyone who is in awards radar's favorite special boy, that is uh, one of his trolls that he goes after. I think probably, um, was it Ben... Uh, Who's the uh, Republican right wing conservator conservative commentator? Uh, oh, that, oh, that narrows it down. Yeah, yeah but the guy who always wants to like debate uh, AOC, right? The younger guy, right? Yeah, uh, younger guy. Like guy. Matt Walsh or no, no, no it's, it's like something or other, right? Oh, Ben Shapiro. Uh, yeah, that's ben it. Shapiro. That's it. I feel like that's Robert's foil on the internet, but 
there's no shortage of them, but someone uh, seemed to be on the everyone else seems to be on the WGA side since it's absurd. There are Emmy award winning TV show writers barely surviving paycheck to paycheck, which we basically said last week. He says, what do you think's going on with the other side of the negotiation table? How do you think executives are playing to screw over writers and what can WGA supporters do to help the good guys in this fight? So we spent a lot of time last week talking about the writer's side, which obviously that's where we fall. We're not rich executives. But if you were at Netflix or even a studio, what, what what's your perspective on this? How do you how do you argue it? If you I mean, not even if you can, because you people are. But what do you what do you think the tactic is there? And, and if you were in that position, is there anything you can think of to try to, like, mend this? I know the eventual answer is they'll just be arbitration, like a third party will have to get involved because everyone's pretty dug in. But what are your what are your thoughts here? Put yourself in big business issues, Miles. I mean, it's it's one of those things where the answer is deceptively simple because it sure. is just like studio brain rot of like, I, I think we talked about it. I can't remember if I said this on air or not last week, but it's it's that old Hollywood mentality of, oh, we could just get rid of these damn writers and actors exactly. and directors and all the people who make the movies. We could finally get some work done. Like it, it, it's like these like CEOs that have convinced themselves that somehow they're the ones making the movies. And like it, it's 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 lip, it's brain rot is what it is. They're not coming sure. from a logical place. They're not like. The writing's on the wall, especially if SAG and DGA join in. They're not going to win this fight. And I think some of them probably know that. But I think at a, at a certain point, you can't give up right away because then you completely lose any bargaining power. So they have to let it ride out for probably an arbitrary number amount of time and then get an arbitrator involved. Totally. And I think they might also, you know, the uh, the conspiracy theory is that they want this. They wanted it so they can try out their AI idea. And I don't know that I fully buy it, but I'm sure there's enough conversations about like, well, we might as well let, you know, chat GPT, uh, you know, write a. I, I think if they're going to take a real swing at it, now's the time. Yeah, which and I, mean, I kind of hope they do just so that it does blow up in their face. Exactly, because it, it won't work like the even even at the time. I don't remember exactly when this was, it might even be like a year or two ago when it was first the sort of this is coming down the pike conversation and like this is a thing to think about for the future the plan the like the the evil plan as it were was always well we won't hire like aaron sorkin anymore we'll just give the computer whatever we're adapting right whatever book we're adapting and then we'll hire whoever to like fix the clearly like computer brain you know responses and make it coherent and the thing about and, and that every is, single writer will tell you it, it would have been so much easier if they just done it from the beginning as opposed to like detangling this weird web of like just mirror nonsense. Exactly. And that's a good writers. That's the equivalent of still wanting Aaron Sorkin to like right. do this as well, opposed to and Steve, you, you chime in next. It's the equivalent of like people willing to cross the picket line are probably not your uh, your A-list writers to paraphrase someone we don't care for when uh when non-union writers send their writers they're not sending their best when you take a uh, going back to the interviews i was mentioning earlier if you talk to one person who is passionate about their craft and and writers included of course uh you will realize that you know you can okay you can put something on paper that will be a story 
but the amount of 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 thought and 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 detail and humanity they put into those characters is not something that is going to be behind this you know this framework of a story of course yeah you can capture you know use AI, ai now to capture the feel of say charlie kaufman's writing but <laughs> you cannot go into that and say hey what um you know what's the motivation for this character? What is it? There's no there's no human behind it, so it's always just going to be paper thin. It's just copying. It's it's watching some you know dancing and copying the footsteps, but not being a dancer. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's going through motions, and it's bullshit. And and then it's that's the thing. It's I, uh, unfortunately, Miles. I think you're giving too much credit. I, it's not just Hollywood. It's everyone with money and power. I've heard. I've I've, I've been in the room. Oh yeah, no. Well, I'm 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 just keeping the conversation. Oh, okay. on what We're specifically okay. talking about. But yeah, no. You're absolutely right. As soon as some, as soon as somebody gets some money, as soon as someone does well, they suddenly forget that there's a thousand people, a hundred people, a dozen people holding them up that created them, that were there for the conversations, that were there, blood, sweat, and tears. They were there crying, you know, literally, you know, putting their all into it. And then they go, oh, guess what? I'm successful. And they forget and they go, wait, how do, now how do we get rid of those people? Because they're, you know, they're, they're a nuisance. They want more money. They, they want to, you know, they want to have meetings. They want to, you know, they want all these things. And, and I, unfortunately, biz, uh, business, I love that is, this sucks. is, yeah, this is very much targeted at the upper echelons of things. Mm-hmm. But I also know a much smaller scale thing that, that Steve is talking about and referencing. And it's amusing because it's very accurate. It is unfortunate. Well, and also, the there is a yeah. bitter irony that the things we're talking about, any movie you've ever seen that's about somebody making it big and going to the top, like, has that element of, oh, they lose touch with the yeah, friends yeah, that help them yeah. get along the way. And it's like, this is the stuff that happens in the movies that y'all are making. And y'all aren't even the <laughs> watching the movies that y'all are making that are making they, fun of you they, to your face. They will make one of those movies while this is going on. Yeah. Oh, totally. And just be completely oblivious. They're, yeah, well, they're so they, out of touch. They, they're just out of touch. It's just, insane. Um, try to keep Severance going, which is a show about like overthrowing your corporate overlords, right? Well, same with Andor, which, you know, yeah. the, the irony cuts deep in both examples. Well, but thankfully, it doesn't look like that's panning out in either case. What about exactly. I heard one uh, was Lord of the Rings. I don't know if that was a joke or a rumor that they were continuing with Lord of the Rings and House of the Dragon are apparently moving forward oh, because the scripts are locked. So don't even worry about it. I'm sure yeah. we can do like 10 episodes of like an intricate, like multi ensemble narrative without changing anything. Yeah. And we won't need to, t- to reach out to a writer and say what you know what's going on here. No, no, any no communication between directors, writers, actors, or a thousand other people involved with the the the, uh, the process. Fucking so Jeff broken. Bezos so is going to take one look at like the lore that he's adapting and like immediately get back on the phones like we need to figure this writing <laughs> thing out. I don't want to fucking you. read this Tolkien. Well, if, exactly. if you watch that series, I just spoke to one of the uh, the lead actors, which. Again, we'll be on awards radar in the coming coming days, hopefully. Um, but the the amount of names and and lore there is wrapped up, and I actually spoke with the actor about it. I said, "Do you like? I have to watch this series with with uh, like Wikipedia and and Google waiting for me because I'm like, who's you know Alistar of so and so? Who's this town? You you can't. Uh, maybe you can connect the dots, but you can't." flesh out the rest you you know and, and and storytelling is not just about 
getting from A to Z. It's everything that's in between that makes it so special. And I don't think, you know, unfortunately, uh, in, in, in not just in uh, this situation, but in entertainment as a whole lately, I'm concerned with the focus on, hey, you know what? We can just do a TikTok version of this. We can just do this like kind of low low rent shit and pa- try to pass it off because, hey, we'll still make money. But it's not about the bottom line. It's about in tw- 10, 20 years, are people still watching those films? You can put something out. People will watch it. It'll You'll make your few bucks on your advertising. But in the long run, you're putting out schlock and it's going to be the death of them. They're going to take themselves sure. down. They're slitting their own throats. Stupid. Agreed. Well, we'll 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 be back at this uh, in the weeks to come. Vinnie Thornburg is back in the vein of Jamie Lee Curtis's shut up. What are some favorite knee jerk reactions to Oscar wins? Some are some of I guess some of his favorites are Adrian Brody's holy shit and Samuel Jackson saying something similar when Martin Landau won but forgot the holy. So these sort of impromptu responses during the Oscar ceremony. Um, I kind of like. Spike Lee jumping into Samuel L. Jackson's arms when he won the Oscar. <laughs> uh, I don't remember that one. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. When he won for uh, Black Klansman, he kind of like yeah. No, I forgot. Like, yeah, that's a good one. Um, I I mean impromptu is. I'm gonna go broad and say I also really like when John Stewart brings out the other writer from Once. We have a co-star. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So she could give her speech. I like that a lot. Exactly. That that definitely wasn't like preordained. That was him being a human being. Like, you know what? Like, I got some time to kill here that I'm supposed to do like some shit. Like, you know, it'd be better served doing this. Um, you, you know, speech wise. So, yeah. So there wasn't uh, I, I, I'm struggling to think of specific moments from like an Oscar ceremony. But I'll tell you what. There was a moment, I want to say it was at the SAG Awards uh, this past year, that had an all-timer sort of reaction moment. It was when uh, Jamie Lee Curtis won for Best Supporting Actress, and there's like, you know, a few seconds where they leave the screen on like the five nominees, you see like all of them reacting for a few seconds, and like every single one of them is telling a story like with their reactions like jamie liquor is like what We're, like not expecting it at all stephanie sue ah, someone from my table um like you know some of the other people oh thought angela bassett was gonna win angela bassett oh i thought i was gonna win like uh carrie condon even like is clearly like looking over at angela bassett expecting to start clapping in that direction and then like has to do a double take and figure out where to look like yeah. it's 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 really interesting just to see it all happening at once Totally. Um, I will also throw out, and then Steve, if you have one, give it to me. When uh, I think it might have been the first Jimmy Kimmel hosted Oscars, when Justin Timberlake opens with the troll song. If you can imagine, if you can envision that, right? He does the song, he's in the audience, like everyone's sort of dancing. And when he finishes, he tosses the mic to Jimmy Kimmel, but he like misses. So it just lands with a big thud. And Jimmy Kimmel deadpans, I've ruined the Oscars already. Which, by the way, I think is the one with uh, La La Land and Moonlight. So, no, that would have been Kimmel. Oh no, it is. It is Kimmel. Sorry, who did I say? Fallon. Oh well, Jimmy Fallon never hosted the Oscars. One of so the you Jimmys. I mean. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it was. Uh, I like that as like a quick, like human, like oh shit, I fucked up. Oh no, like the idea of like they're gonna come get me immediately. Uh, Steve, do you have any? Um, I think just Anna Paquin. <laughs> When okay. she just stood there, she didn't say anything. That was the thing. She stood there with her mouth open and she, you know, just a little kid yeah, yeah. sitting there completely, uh, you know, 
in awe of the moment. But I don't, I don't know. I don't recall any offhand. That, that, that's one that stood out. Right. Benini, of course, you know, walking across yeah, yeah. The, the seats. But Even though that almost immediately left a bad taste in some people's mouths. Yeah, and, and stains on the backs. But. Well, oh. Oh. That, that took a turn very quickly. I appreciate what? it. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, all right. Matthew Anderson. On Twitter says it's been over ten years since we last saw an Evil Dead film, and the latest entry, Evil Dead Rise, grossed over a hundred million dollars worldwide. I'm counting all that, which made me think of possible horror franchises that I'd like to see get brought back into the light. Do you guys have any in mind? I feel like we ask this question like every couple of months. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's all. It's always well, and like new ones keep getting announced, but it, it's always um, a valid topic for discussion. Um, one of the most obvious ones is that I'm freaking desperate over here for a new nightmare on elm street movie yeah and and that's a weird one where it doesn't even seem like the rights are tangled necessarily they're just being really picky about how they go forward yeah so which i mean after the remake is probably the right move but well here's my question for you so is there any continuation of where of some say the original like more of a requel or is it completely something a, a reboot completely what 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 are you imagining here so, so my ideal scenario is probably like kind of a soft reboot situation where like it's not necessarily not a sequel to any of the others, but it doesn't explicitly like reference them. Mm-hmm. I do think you need a new Freddy actor just because Robert Englund's a little too old now and um, it, it just wouldn't work. I think what they need is they need to take the same premise and um, find a new twist on it. Like the idea I've been pitching to whoever will listen is like put it from the parents perspective and make it like about the guilt they feel from unleashing Freddy and like them figuring out a way to sort of close the genie's bottle as it were. Um, Good, uh... But I don't. I like it. But I don't know, just fi- find a different, like, because the problem with the remake, I mean, there's so many problems with the remake, but the simplest one is that it's just doing what we've already seen before. Yes. And that and that series conceptually can go to so many places, especially now with like CGI and the things we can do with special effects. It's ridiculous to me that this series isn't absolutely crushing it. Could you um, figure out a way, and I know we can, but off off the top of your head, a way to involve Robert Englund as Freddy in that scenario, right? So, from the so point of view, but then what have I would, a new killer. Yeah. So I, I think you do need to have just a new base Freddy actor. Yes. Um, and I've, I've, I've heard a lot of different uh, suggestions, uh, you know, from big ones like Kevin Bacon to smaller ones like Richard Brake, who I think would really work. Uh-huh. Um, so there's there's a lot of people you could get, but I think you do need a, a base Freddy. What you do is you bring Robert England in for a cameo as a seemingly a different uh, character, but that character it turns out to be like in one of the dream scenarios, and you have him like morph into the new Freddy. And so there's kind of like a s- symbolic visual passing of the torch almost. I like it. Sure, you could do that. You could. Um... You could hey Hollywood, when the strike ends, I will I will do this for money. Just so I mean, you know. I mean, you could do this right Guess now what? for money because you're not in the guild. Uh, well, yeah, but I'm not Scam. gonna I'm not gonna scab ahead of time. Yeah, that's true. Well, you know what's another idea, and it's not as good an idea, but it's another way of going about it. Just because we're 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 blue skying it, is Freddy versus Jason style. Have Robert Englund's Freddy cultivate another serial killer as like the new Freddy. So he's still there. Oh, sure. Like a Freddy Jr. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, the the same exact scenario. Another like potential pedophile. But you could 
you can imagine him like rotting in hell being like, I got a new one. And moving I, it in. The, on, the only issue I take with that is that it immediately makes me think of Halloween ends. Okay. I mean, yeah. we can get, we can get that after. Uh, yeah, that's, that, that's not a selling point. What if it is that actor? What if it is, um, fucking, I, I will, I will accept that actor on the condition that he's the Drew Barrymore style cameo who dies yeah. in the first scene. All right. What's N- nothing against the actor? Just Corey, that right? Is just yeah, Corey. So bizarre. What if, what if it actually is Corey? What if it's a Halloween and uh, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, spinoff what? tie-in mashup? Did he did he survive stabbing himself in the neck? What are we talking? No, no. About? He's he's in hell. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I see it. He's the. Oh, I hate that though. So he gets to be Michael's acolyte and Freddy's acolyte. Yes. I hate that. Yes. And no, then, it's so bad. And then when he dies, when they finally beat him, he goes, he's sent back to hell. And Jason, uh, and, and he's so pissed, he gives him a hockey mask at the end. And he heads back one more time. I came here in good faith with what I think is a pretty decent pitch. And here you are. This is, you know, what, <laughs> See how, this is what happens. Remember bad movie pitches that we used to do, which we got, we're going to bring back eventually. This is what happens with no writers. Exactly. That was gonna. I was just gonna say that. We proved our point. Uh, no, you have the right idea. It's Nightmare on Elm Street. I'll, I'll say that like a Friday the Thirteenth movie, which granted. Yeah. We well, we're getting the the, uh, the Crystal Lake series, which could be an interesting thing. Yeah. Though I'm curious That's how prequel, far they're gonna have to right? like. Yeah, they're gonna have to avoid some shit to make it work. Well, but also, it's not really a series that's ever been that worried about continuity. So, frankly, no. they can just, like, make shit up. It, it'll be a Bates Motel situation. Like, nothing that happens in Bates Motel actually syncs up with the Hitchcock film. It just yeah. uses it as a starting point. You're a real big Freddie Highmore fan these days, aren't you? <laughs> hey, if you, wa- if you want to see something that could maybe be generously described as acting, feel free to go anywhere on film Twitter this past week and you'll find something. Yeah. That was a thing. Uh, yeah. I think you got the right answer. Steve, you have, a, you have another idea? Or you think we're, we're locked in on that one? Yeah, I'm locked in on that. I was just going to say, I'm not big on rebooting, of, you know, as you may know, unless you're going to stay true to it. What Miles is saying, I like because it it's, sticks in the same vein. It, you know, mm-hmm. What you need to do is if you're going to make it a continuation, you have to, you can't pull the Halloween shit and say, guess what? We're getting rid of everything that you saw before, except for the parts we like. You, you got to go with it and you have to have the guts to continue it somehow. Of course, you're going to have to make some, you know, adjustments, but the uh, the core of it has to stay true to it. So, but like a lot of the the horror films I like, I, I would be afraid to see a sequel okay. happen. That's you know? fair. I, uh, I, I'll give another example, though. I just want to quickly remark Miles, he found a way to make it about the Halloween movies he didn't like. Uh, <laughs> Even though it's asking for something he wants. We're, we're talking um, about horror franchises. It's bound to come up. I'm, I'm chipping saying? away at all the things I don't like, and eventually you'll find sure. out. It's, it's like sculpting. You get rid of the pieces you don't want, and eventually you have what you want. You're working on your Michelangelo's, David? I am right now. That's there the chipping sign you here. All right. Um, uh-oh. I, uh, I don't know if you could do it, but I'd be curious to see if you could do it. Um, and of the dead movie, the zombie franchise, because it's so different from. Uh, do yeah. you want to now that Romero's gone, though? I feel like that's well, just a zombie movie. Like, I feel like his presence is what made it an of the dead movie. And it's not so it's not enough of a coherent franchise that there's anything specific about it 
beyond my, like zombie stuff. My caveat is that you need a take and it needs to be a Dawn of the Dead style take more so than. Let's say sure, but why would you made. but why would you even have it be an of the dead film at that point? Just do a new zombie movie because you make more money that way. Shh. That's, I don't that's, even know that you business. do. The last few didn't make mu- that much money well, when were, he was they alive. Were such tiny movies. I think if you're making it, I also think those zombies are a bigger thing now. I think you hypothetically could make it a big budget movie. I don't know that it would work. Hey, real quick, a, yeah. I, I just want to say some very bizarre coincidence. So as you're speaking about the of the dead series, I am I have Twitter open, and in the you might like section of it is Tom Savini, who is. <laughs> All over the, the franchise. It's just, I don't know, it's one of those bizarre well, things. Can, you're maybe that's awesome. one of our listeners. Yeah, maybe this is a, uh, a sign. Maybe, maybe we have to make this happen. Maybe. Uh, here, let's uh, let's do a film hall face-off. Bradley Cooper edition. Hey. Mm, all right. Gearing up, it's gearing up to our, our main topic. All right. Wedding Crashers or The Hangover? Ooh. Yeah. So. Kind of neither, right? I, I, so I didn't think this was a hot take when I first had the take, but apparently nowadays it is. Not only do I not think he's very good in Wedding Crashers, I actively think he's like the worst part of the movie. Sure, like, it's like an actively bad he, performance. Isn't his name not, like not even Zach or something. I don't. It's just like he's so aggro and so like th- there's no humor there. There's no character really. It's just a jerk who's punching people and being a. I don't know. There's nothing like, and he gets the you, shits, right? That's the other thing it, in that movie. Yeah, or something. I mean, I don't think oh, it's yeah, a, yeah. especially funny movie in general. It's fine, no. but like I've never ever gone back to it. Uh, the Hangover is a classic and probably still holds up. I don't like either of them. They both have moments. I will say that the Hangover sequels are atrocious. Oh, totally. But yeah. that first one, I think, still works as a tight little mm-hmm. like comedic mystery kind of setup. Yeah. More of it, more of it works than not. But I was left a little cold by it. Um, wedding Crashers, I think the opening, like not the opening, but the, the centerpiece, like first act wedding crashing sequence is fine. But it, once they get into like their plot proper, I was not into it. I was a I was a forty year old virgin guy that year. You're in Steve. good company. Exactly. So I guess I guess I'm the hangover by proxy, but kind of neither. Though by the way. Only one of them has John McCain in the cast. Aye. And it's Wedding Crashes. It's an, it's an odd claim to fame, but yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, Steve, where are you at? I'm going The Hangover. Uh, I like them both, but uh, I, I think you know, Cooper's work is better in, in The Hangover. So, Sure. Sure. I mean, if, we're, if, we're, if we're at all thinking about that, it's very easy. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Place Beyond the Pines or Silver Linings Playbook? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably go Silver Linings Playbook, both for film and for performance. That was the one that w- really like took me back. It was like, oh, this guy can be like a really effective dramatic actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but Place Beyond the Pines is totally solid. I think he is probably the part of like the least interesting section of it. Um, but he's still solid, and it's a good movie. Yeah, he's doing a good job with a. A character that is meant to have a little bit less in the way of uh, dimension. So much of it is put on the Gosling character and then to some degree the the kids. One more so than the other. But right. uh, I, I like that movie a lot, though. I, I do think you're right. I think I have to go several lines. Though I really like Place Beyond the Pines. Steve? 
Uh, I like them both. I'm going to go with Silver Linings, I, though I, I had a great time with that film. So, Oh, boy, this, the sweeps are coming hot and heavy. Yeah. American the, Hustle or American Sniper? And Steve, you can finish your thought. Uh, I was just going to say, they're, you know, they're both, they're, they're all, all four of the films are, are definitely worthy of watching. There's not like a bad one in the bunch. So, so far, two of the four, but okay. Uh, can well, agree to disagree. Three of no. the six now. Uh, American Hustle or American Sniper? Um... I think he's really good in both of these films, but I don't yes. know that either film is as good as it could be. Um, I guess probably American Hustle, just because I like the kind of movie it is a, a lot more. Yeah. Um, but I would probably never go back to either of them. Yes, I, I agree about that. Um, yeah, Hustle is, I think, a pretty good movie that could have been a really great movie. It just is very unfocused. Sniper is a fair movie at best. He's very good. The baby remains terrible. Yeah. And it really was aching to not be made by Clint Eastwood. I think that movie would have been better served. One, also, there's the politics of it. Like, I don't really like that human being. Not Clint Eastwood. Though I don't know that I like him either, but... Um, <laughs> the uh, the guy Chris Kyle is playing. Yeah, yeah, Chris Kyle is, is uh, I believe, a piece of shit. Or at very least, like, not not a great guy. Exactly. Like, uh, image softened by being not alive. Sure. Which, you know, fair. Don't speak ill of the dead. But also, like, eh, he definitely is a guy that if he was alive would have opinions we would not be thrilled about. He might have no. yeah. been sure. at the Capitol in January. He well. might be shooting Bud Light cans. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe. But uh, I will. he is very good in the movie. And there's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with watching a movie about a person like that. They, and they did an okay job of softening that, even though it's it's a little, I don't know. I have complicated feelings about that. But it helps that Hustle is, I think, an easily better movie. Steve? You know, I'm going to go with American Sniper. I'm going to lose okay. the sweeps. Um, yeah. American Hustle is a big disappointment. Where uh, American Sniper, it, it's what I expected. American Hustle could have been a great film, and it was... Probably a good film at best. I, the the last quarter, I'd say, ruined it for me. But all the way through, it just felt like, I don't know, like style waiting for substance to uh, to catch up. And it, it didn't. It was, you know, great costumes. I gotcha. All right. So um, there you go. Fair enough. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 or Licorice Pizza? Oh, so two specifically. Okay. Yeah. Um, Here's the thing. (coughs) Bradley Cooper's greatest performance may very well be the 10 minutes or so that he's in Licorice Pizza. um, (laughs) And that is definitely the best part of that movie. Um, We've talked about it a bunch when it came out. I really, really like it, but have complicated feelings on certain aspects of the story and certain jokes that made the final cut. Um. Guardians Volume 2 is, and, and we'll get into it when we talk about the franchise, is probably my least favorite of the three, which isn't really Great. a knock against it. I think it's just, it's probably the least focused and has some really weightless action and just uh, some of the jokes are a little try too hard. It's, 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 it's still the formula, it's still all the stuff you like, but it's just maybe the least effective version of it, except for the ending, which is a fucking gut punch. Um, Um, that is so between the two 
And I'm definitely not padding for time because I forgot what the film that isn't Guardians is. Licorice Pizza. Licorice Pizza. pizza, Thank you. I'll go Guardians. Steve? I'm just going to go based on the performance. And like you said, it's it's, that 10 minutes or so he's in there is is definitely some of the best of the film and, and some of the best of his career. So I'll go with Licorice Pizza. I'm going to go Licorice Pizza as well. I really like the movie. I agree with Miles that the stuff that doesn't work in, in Licorice Pizza really doesn't work. And obviously that and the sort of uh, larger debate about the, the movie is complicated. And they're really, as we did at the time, there isn't really a right or wrong answer there. It's how you how you interpret it. And you really can't argue that point, though. The uh, was it John Michael Higgins part. Yeah, that that just didn't work. Even if you even if you take away the nefarious sort of t- read on that, which I don't know that I have that read, but it just no, it, it, it's it's one of those things that, yeah, I, I don't even necessarily project any kind of ill intention, but the intention is kind of besides the point. It just shouldn't be there. Sure. You don't lose anything. Like, like if you remove yeah. those elements, there's nothing like necessary to the film that you're losing. Totally. I, I understand the like color that you're trying to add to it but i would have imagined that like at some sort of friends and family screening or something like that someone must have been like eh, you could probably find a better joke there but i guess not whereas guardians 2 again it's my least favorite of the three it's still a very good movie comes in like right middle of the road i think for marvel which is still pretty solid in my in my rankings um which, by the way, tell me where your where your Guardians uh, three uh, ranks when we get to talk about that, just so you can prep that if you need. But yep. uh, but yeah, the 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 highs of Licorice Pizza are are there in a way that I don't know. That there's a ton of highs in Guardians too. It's very solid. It just yeah. doesn't have the yeah. the highs. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't I don't disagree with anything either of you have said. The only thing I would then add in my defense is that I've gone back to Guardians two a hell of a lot more often than Licorice Pizza, which is zero. This is one of this is one of those situations where I've seen Guardians two a second time. I've gone back more. Well, there was a time when it was on Netflix before we had Disney Plus, so I just watched the shit out of it. But yeah, no, it's well, and then I rewatched it before the third one as well. It's it 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 plays well on a rewatch. I don't I don't object to watching it again. It just it takes a little bit more for me to rewatch something just in terms of like the time commitment. I did see Licorice Pizza a second time because I when I was dating my ex. We went to go see it in, uh, was it 70 millimeter? Because I, I believe I'd seen it that way in, in at the, the press screening, at the, you know, the award screening or whatever, however the hell I ended up seeing it. But um, we bought a ticket for his like limited run in the city at the, uh, the theater that showed it on film. Because I was like, you got to kind of watch it on film. When, especially a movie like that, when it's available on film, it's worth going the extra mile. So I did see it a second time, mostly for someone else to have watched it. But I I had a I would imagine a similar time with it. All right. And last but not least, Guardians of the Galaxy. Or a star is born. Oh, mm-hmm. OK. Oh, well, I mean, talk about apples and oranges. Yeah. Um, I mean, listen, I, I will go ahead and say I think uh a Star is Born is his best performance, and he should have won Best Actor that year. Um, well, considering who actually won, yeah. Very much. Um, 
it's it's an incredible movie. It's very emotional. It's it's got a little, you know, spends a lot of time in the mud with the character's feelings to, you know, possibly diminishing returns by the end. But it, overall, it's very, very great. And, you know, the songs are amazing. And he got to have that chemistry. It's it's amazing. Guardians of the Galaxy. It's it's one of Marvel's better movies. It's you know, it, it, it was such a breath of fresh air it was, it was something that really upended the formula exactly when it needed upending um and in a way like that like many like it hasn't kind of been upended to that degree at least within the mcu since then well also um, tell me if i'm wrong but i don't know if they've ever took taken a swing like that recently not like the well eternals swing. Well, that's I, I, what I was Eternals saying. is probably the closest thing to a swing of that caliber. Sure. And in that if you remember at the time, and I guess Eternals is the only other one we've ever heard of had like this where the the early chat about it prior to its shooting when it was announced was these guys like nobody cares about any of these characters, you know, give us, you know, Iron Man, only, you know, even though Iron Man is kind of like. A lesser character in, in Marvel, considering you know Captain America and stuff like that. But the idea of like nobody knows who Star Lord is. Rocket Raccoon was like periodically in that comic run. It wasn't even like a central character. So that's what I meant by like a swing of like we're gonna make a giant blockbuster out of people most of you have never fucking heard of. Uh, I mean, yeah, I would argue the Eternals are even more obscure than the Guardians, honestly. Rocket Raccoon was at least in the Marvel versus Capcom game. Sure, sure. Probably, though, I I think, I guess, at that point, Eternals came late enough in the game that people had, like, looked at, like, all the possibilities. So there was more. Well, not not just that. I think there was a lot more willingness to buy into whatever, just because at that point it felt like Marvel was sort of on the right path and sort of knew what they were doing. And, and it was, you a, know, the last time a, they took a big chance, we got Guardians. So. Yeah, and it was an auteur director. Then she wins Best Director. Well, yeah, movie and you're like, oh, how out. can this not be great? And then you yeah, watch where it. James Gunn, like, is a fun director, but was the guy who made Slither and Super. A little different. Right, exactly. So, yeah, uh, but again, apples and oranges. So Star is Born, First Guardians. I don't know, man. I, a Star is Born is probably a better movie, but I like Guardians better. That's fair. Steve? Uh, I'm going to go with Star is Born. Uh, I mean, I think Guardians is amazing, but, um, you know, Rocket is is part of an ensemble. And... You know, in A Star is Born, it's it's the two of them, and it doesn't work. You can take Rocket out of the equation and still have a good film. You could not take Bradley Cooper out of A Star is Born, so... Well, that's so you're saying you well, the film probably wouldn't Steve. exist if he's not well, involved well, in directing it. Well, it'd be completely the, different. The, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm talking about the character. You know, I'm, no, no, I I know what you mean, though. He's, the, he's far uh, more integral to that one. Yeah, yeah. The Clint Eastwood-helmed version that was going to have Beyonce as the lead. Christ. And I believe the two stars they talked about were Will Smith or Tom Cruise. Yeesh, now, Tom Cruise that would have been, been a very different movie. But Tom Cruise would never do that movie. Not now, no. No. Also, you know, he's the hero. He doesn't die, except for one particular recent movie. I feel like if was... they offered it to him in like the late 90s, early 2000s, around the era he was doing like Magnolia and more and Eyes Wide Shut and stuff like that, he would have totally jumped onto it. But exactly. I think the, the moment for that kind of passed. Yeah, I think I think uh, ironically, the movie I was referencing, American Made, was sort of his last swing at like that kind of movie. And it didn't do as well as his other ones. And he went, fuck it. 
action hero until I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, and even that was within the comfort zone of working with Doug Lyman, who he'd exactly. just done Edge of Tomorrow reason, with. That's the only reason why, um, spoiler alert for a movie that might be almost 10 years old at this point, right? That movie might be 10 years old, American Made. Uh, probably pretty close. Oh my God, I'm looking up this edit, but uh, it, it's also a, a based on a true story. Like, he dies. Granted, like, off screen. But that's a thing that, like, he doesn't do. Not, not to the extent of, like, Mark Wahlberg. But there is a, it's a thing about like the big actors. They really don't like dying on screen when they're action heroes. Sure. Well, I mean, it goes beyond that. I don't know if you heard um, the reports that came out about the Fast and Furious movies a couple of years ago, but basically there's like somebody on set to make sure that like Vin Diesel and The Rock and Statham and people like that are like giving the exact same number of punches. And like if he falls to the ground, then the other guy's got to fall to the ground. Like it's like mathematically like done so that everybody is giving as good as they get. And it just and like, you know, it's those movies don't exist without the massive egos that fuel them. But um, it it, does like in any other franchise, that would be like a terrible way to sort of, you know, orchestrate that kind of thing yeah and because it it is just it's it is just vanity it is just the oh well you know like the only reason i lost this fight is because i was rescuing a woman otherwise i would never run away from a fight like that kind of logic and granted i know people like them they may not be my thing but like they do seem like a miserable thing for the filmmakers to make that's why they lost one of them in what was it the last one right the last one they were making well, like, you say that, this. but he also made like four of them before that. So it wasn't true. like it was his first time at bat. That's true. I, I think but if I, anything, he probably should. He probably made one too many or like tried to go yeah. into an epic. One, one too many of like watching that go on and be like, I can't deal with these guys anymore. I can see that being the case. Could be. Could be. Well, what is it? Is who uh, is it? It's Louis. Uh, Latier or whatever, like that's who made the last one, right? This current one, or who's out? making the current one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't wasn't he the one they had the story about recently that like he was on a plane to like go shoot and like you need to rewrite the third act? You have like the three hours you're on the plane right now. Oh yeah, well yeah, he like did the treatment on the plane and then basically rewrote the entire script in like a day or two and then went to set. Yeah, that sounds like a real fun way to. And you wonder why writers need to be paid more. Um, yeah, yeah. Ugh. All right. Anyway, all this to say, I'm really excited to see Fast X. There you go. Um, <laughs> I, I got my screening invite. I, I may not be attending, so you're welcome you to fly across the country. Um, last question before we get into Guardians. Kayfleet 208. This is a good one. Reverse cast Guardians of the Galaxy as a 90s movie. Who are you casting prominent 90s actors and actresses and who is directing? Uh, I think Tom Cruise is a Star-Lord. So I was actually just thinking Will Smith as Star-Lord because that's like Independence Day, Men in Black kind of era. Totally. I think I think I think if you're a 90s executive, both of those names are are, are mentioned. I think Barry Sonnenfeld is recruited to direct. I, sure. I, I think um, Will Smith would do well as Rocket. He's got a very recognizable yeah, voice and a lot well, of think, feel. OK, first of all, how the hell do they do Rocket in the 90s? Groot, you could oh. just put a guy in a suit, but yeah. oh, you're, you're looking tricky. at tricky puppets. By right? the way, I, I guess so. They're... But for the stuff that Rocket gets up to, that's yeah, yeah. That's yeah. A, think also, back to Howard the Duck. <laughs> maybe I also think the original, or I guess the runner-up for the uh, Rocket character, probably gets the job. I think Adam Sandler gets uh, Rocket. Oh, I could see that. He yep. could also probably be Star Wars, Star Lord. 
I don't know that it would it would have happened. But that's a that's a similar kind of comedic. Actor. I, I could also see 90s Brad Pitt going for it because he was loosening Maybe. up. He was working with Fincher around that time. Schwarzenegger is Drax. Oh, I do like that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's pretty fun. And I think I don't, I, I but, don't know if, but it's a supporting role. I don't know that he would take that. It's yeah, 90, not in the 90s, 90s certainly. 90s Schwarzenegger wouldn't do You know it. what? You get you get 90s Schwarzenegger to play the villain. Yeah. Get, get, have him do a Mr. Freeze style performance as Ronan. Ronan. Infinitely more interesting character. What about I do, uh I, go ahead. I do think I do think that nowadays Schwarzenegger knowing what we know about him now, I think he would be into that kind of role. He has a he's he's now showing his personality. Sure, but back in the era where he was getting paid like twenty five million per movie and like got top billing in Batman and Robin despite being the villain, like he's not doing like the third build no. like supporting character. Oh, no, I got it. Not at I that time. It. I got it. Drax is Hulk Hogan. No. I mean, yeah. I mean, you just watched Rocky three. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. Mm. Batista I mean, is like, funny. Batista can do I'm can do a lot. If there's anyone Hogan cannot. No, I almost so what I about almost think maybe you get like go in a different direction and maybe get like a John Goodman or someone like that, like someone who's big in a different way. That would be uh, John Goodman as Rocket. Maybe. What about Robin? John, oh Williams no, John Goodman Rocket. is Groot. I mean, yeah. saying Robin, what Robin Williams is is Groot or Rocket? Yeah, Robin Williams is Rocket. I like that a lot. Yeah, all I'm those, I'm well into work. that. All those work. Um. Gamora, um... Well, I, I can think of a not great thing about the 90s and that... The yeah, I'm trying, is, I'm trying not to, is, to land on a, a generic white actress. Well, that's um, the 90s, so that's who's getting it. But we can, we can try to be better. We can be better. Um, hey, I, said I, I mean, like, I mean, I mean, a fun version. I don't know that they would do it, but a fun version would maybe cast like an Angela Bassett. Sure. I think I think unfortunately you're getting like Alicia Silverstone offered it. Not that she's a bad actress, but that's like mm. who you're going. Or maybe like Reese Witherspoon or someone like that. Totally. It, it's so wild. Do you know who the second choice for Gamora was in the version we got? I don't know. I don't know that I know it off the top of my head. I think when you tell me, I'll remember it. Might Amanda Seyfried. That would have been very different. Very different, but she's definitely capable. She is. Yeah. Apparently she she was like part of the group of like had never heard of the characters. This like it's a movie with a tree and raccoon. This doesn't sound like anything that'll work. Sure. Um, I, I don't know so that she's kicking herself so much, but she definitely. Do you remember you know. who the uh, who the third choice was for uh, for Quill? Because it was you said who the second choice was earlier in the episode. Uh, was it Jim Sturgis? I remember no, reading he, he was, was at least in he was, he was among the, the names. Joseph Gordon-Levitt was another one. That got like he would have worked. I remember. I I don't. You know, it might have been inaccurate, but the supposed rumor was like it was him or Pratt at the time. Well, I think I think looking for, back, the the story they've always told is it was Pratt or Howerton. Exactly. I think um, I think what I what I would gather from it was James Gunn wanted Pratt or Howerton. Marvel wanted Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and they were able. To I don't know that Joseph Gordon-Levitt would have stuck it out for the franchise is the only thing. I mean, I don't, I don't even he, he even took a t some time off from like doing no regular movies like to raise his kids and stuff. So like, I don't know. Yeah, that, like it, um, I mean, it worked out. I think he, he would have been good as well, but I think it worked out. I think he could have oh, totally played it. Yeah, I have. I have an idea for um, I don't know exactly who he would play. But hear me out. I think Heath Ledger would have been in the movie. Oh, interesting. Off, he would have been like, I mean, right, if it was a late 90s movie coming right around 10 Things I Hate About You. 
I mean, listen, you do like early 2000s so he can grow up just a little bit. He'd be an amazing Star Lord. Exactly. I, I just I was thinking of 10 things I hate about you. And I was like, ooh, he would get him in the right movie. He would. I mean, honestly, that. he's the kind of outside the box because like, remember, buff guys were either like Stallone or like a normal ish guy back in the day. So like maybe he's Drax because he's like maybe. enough of an up and comer at that point that he would maybe take that kind of role. Totally. Um, any other notable roles in that movie? Nebula. She's smaller, but yeah. But she's a major character. I feel like she gro- I mean, she grows into the franchise that we want to address her. But I think for the first movie, I don't think they pay attention in the same way. Because I was thinking maybe like not. John C. Riley's character. It's sure. a small role, I mean, for, but like it would have been a, a decent name. Yeah. Or uh, uh or the or the collector, the collector, maybe. I'll give you I'll give you just a random outside the box, like big in the nineties guy for the collector. John Cusack. I don't think I think he would have been. I don't like, think he's interested. weird enough. I, I actually Robin Williams would be phenomenal as the collector. You get Robin actually, Williams in for like a few days and just like let him go nuts. Like with totally. the, that's position <laughs> scene or whatever. That's a great use of it. That's your answer. Robin Williams is the collector. Mm-hmm. I like that. All right. Let's uh, let's table this for the end and you can add one more 90s actor to your uh, when you say where you can be followed. And let's start Guardians and James Gunn. That'll be our last topic. So before we get into Guardians, because we might address spoilers. So if you want time to you know, clock out there. We'll talk James Gunn first. Overall thoughts on James Gunn as he transitions now to be full on in DC. Next project is Superman. Going to be doing a lot of Godfathering. This is sort of the end of phase two of his career, right? If phase one was schlocky horror movies that he did pretty well. Miles and I have both wrote, written about that, actually. Yep. Um, thoughts on James Gunn. Miles, you want to expand on your article from... Two years ago? Three years ago? Yeah. Uh, probably two, whenever the Suicide Squad came out. Um, yeah, listen, I, I've i only gained more respect for him as time has gone on. Um, yes. I remember seeing Slither in the theaters when it came out, and, like, I I, I think it, I maybe wasn't quite, like, I hadn't gotten into schlocky, like, gross-out movies at the time. Like, I, upon a rewatch, it's absolutely my thing, but I think it, yeah. I maybe didn't get it at the time. Um, but I've always thought he was talented. And when he uh, got uh, hired for Guardians, it was one of those things where, oh, well, that's kind of out of left field. That's an interesting choice. Yeah. Um, and then Guardians onwards, like, I think he gets superhero movies in this way that, like, a lot of other creators don't, where it's like, he, like, there's reverence for the comics, but no kind of slavish devotion. It's more like, I'm inspired by what the comics did. Let me make something in that vein rather than like just copy pasting which um, is funny because he also made super like a full-on deconstruction sure totally well and if anything i'm sure that helped on the resume because um, it, it's at least superhero adjacent um but he's a very personal filmmaker despite the fact that yes. he has these massive budgets and he's playing in like some of the biggest movies that people are seeing there's always something of himself in there whether it's you know this sort of sense of you know misfits uh themes of found family are very common um you know there's obviously the trauma you know tongue-in-cheek you know humor which you know really you know he's let off the leash in the suicide squad but you you get some pg-13-esque equivalents of it throughout the guardians films especially in this recent one um but no i think he i think he's terrific um i think he's he's 
improved uh even though i wouldn't necessarily say each film has gotten better i still i still see the improvement of him as a director like i think guardians 3 is better directed than guardians 1 if that makes sense even though sure you know we'll, we'll get into maybe you know, regardless um but yeah no big fan i'm very interested to see what his superman movie looks like but oh, i everything so different it's going to be so different. And I think he knows it has to be so different. And I think anyone expecting like Superman filtered through a guardian's lens, I don't think that's what he's doing. I think he's self-aware enough to know one, well, just aware of how important that character is. And I'm sure he's probably one of those guys who feels like it's weird that there's no like one iconic Superman movie in the modern era. Um, yep. So I think that's definitely something. Well, and it's the launch of his new, like, you know, if this movie's bad, his whole new super, his whole new uh, DC universe is, you know, back back to the drawing board. So it's it's got to be there's good. There's a reason he's pegged that as an early part of the the, the vision, not just well. And I th- and thing. I think you know, and same with Man of Steel, although to a much lesser extent. But I think both universes know that you kind of have to start with Superman. Yeah. So. Um, no, I'm very excited to see what happens there. And with DC in general, I, I'm more interested in the future of it now than I certainly was a few years ago, where it just seemed kind of like aimless. Yeah, yeah um, I agree. And, and, uh, and yeah. Excellent. Steve, hmm. what are your thoughts on James Gunn? On old Jimmy Gunn? I mean, this is going to be a big test of, you know, for him, of course. He's, you know, stepping into essentially the... Uh, Kevin Feige role, right? Yeah, Over there. essentially. So, um, you know, doing a trilogy and being having characters that you love and 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 a story that you want to tell is one thing. Creating a universe is another. So, I think you know, if you're going to hire somebody out there, I, I can't see a better person to do it. It's just after so many, especially with what's going on, but after so many uh, attempts over at DC, as as poor as some of them have been. Um, and it's just going to be interesting to see what his approach is, how big, how big, how big of how much world building he's going to do or universe building he'll do early on, or is he just going to go and then try to make some good films? And then kind of like, you know, when we watched the first, uh, MCU, uh, phase one, mm-hmm. it wasn't heavily focused on creating the world. It was focused on, you know, giving you the type of heroes and knowing what types of films you can watch or you're going to be watching going through and kind of building the universe in that way. And then there were some tying to, you know, of course, the Nick Fury uh, aspect of it. But, you know, I, I think for him to succeed, I think if he just goes in there and, and recreates what we expect of Superman and not with the expectations of it being this massive, you know, DCU or DCEU, whatever they're going to call it. Um, I think he'll he'll be much more successful. Is there are there have they announced like the connection between the films that are coming out? I know there's a Superman and uh, what- no specific. We know what the films are, but how they connect to each other, if at all, yeah. B- based on how different most of them are, it sounds like they're going to be pretty standalone to get started. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's you know just like just like the comic book shelf, you know, when there used to be one. There should be that variety. I think it's good, but, but I think when they did the uh, the previous, you know, what was it called? The the not the Legion. What was it? Uh, 
the Justice League. Justice League. I'm thinking Legion of Doom. The the Justice League when well, they did that approach. Doom there. You, yeah. You but you saw the pieces and you're well, this isn't a great piece. And you didn't really care what connected to it. And then they brought more. And there were some pieces that looked good, but it seemed like it, it just didn't have vision. I think Gunn's definitely going to bring yeah, that. Visions in Marvel. Vision and, and creativity. He's well, coming vision, in. Like the character vision. <laughs> oh, Miles oh yeah. yeah. I, Miles got what I did. Sorry, sorry. I no, no, no. I just, I, I don't want to seem like I'm favoring one or the other because I'm not. I just couldn't miss. Listen, I'm very tired and it's a fun, shitty joke. Deal with it. No, Deal I, with I, it, America. I think it's wonderful. Uh, but you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be reluctantly no, no, optimistic. Um, I, I just hope that the DC, you know, the uh, the brass over there can get out of his way and let an artist take over. So far, seems like that's the case, or at least they're saying all the right things. And uh, yeah. yeah, I agree with Miles. I really like James Gunn. I do also think I appreciate him in a way more now because you you see the evolution. Very much I, so, yeah. I think the hindsight is really helpful because, well, I real well, I did like Slither at the time. Yeah, it was it was schlocky horror, and it's easy to get caught up in like, is this good or is it bad but fun? And you have to realize, no, no, he knows what he's doing. He's making it that way on purpose. Especially when you look at like the other things around there, like the uh, the trauma stuff. It's that's either for you or it's not writing those uh, Scooby Doo movies like, you know, they're gigs um, writing the Dawn of the Dead movies, kind of what got him the ability to direct. And I think that's a uh, that's actually maybe what gives me some hope for uh, for well, not some hope. But one of the reasons I think Superman is probably going to turn out pretty well is watch that John, the Dawn of the Dead remake. It has it doesn't appear like a James Gunn film, but it understands what to take from the original and what to leave behind, like what's not going to work in terms of like not being as good as the original. And it's a rock solid movie. And somehow I like, kept Zack Snyder in check, which. Go yeah, figure. well, I'm, I maintain it's his best film still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was I was always very pleased to see him get a big gig. We, you know, Miles and I love the Suicide Squad. We know that. And uh, I was very excited for Guardians 3 just because I was very interested to see how it was going to turn out. And uh, I was satisfied. I talked about it a lot last week. Um, Miles and Steve have seen it. Miles has seen it twice. Uh, Miles, what did you think of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? Volume 3, end of an era. Um, It's good. It's very, 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 very good. Um, I I have a few nitpicks that I will get into that are maybe maybe a bit more than nitpicks, the little things that that keep it from perfection for me. Um, the, the, well, little things that kind of snowball and add up, but we'll we'll get there. But on the whole, the like as a trilogy capper, this is fantastic. It it gives a really good, not so much narrative send off, but an emotional send off to all the characters. Um, despite having a pretty big ensemble, I didn't feel like any of the core cast got kind of left in the dust or sort of got sidelined. Like, obviously they, you know, they split focus as much as they have to, and people will split up and come back together and go into different teams and things like that. But I've, you feel like all the characters that you know and love have like, all have a few moments each to really shine and sort of stand out. And the stuff where they're all just in a room, like bantering or bouncing off of each other, like you can tell this cast just really loves each other and has spent so much time together. And just the chemistry they all have is super infectious. Mm. And, uh, and even more so 
and something that I think is really interesting about it in comparison to the first two films, the Guardians themselves are all kind of in a different place as far as like emotional maturity. And like now you've got characters like Nebula and Drax who would have previously like, you know, not gone in for any kind of like big emotion or show of affection. But they're now kind of revealing themselves to be big softies because uh, they've, they've spent so much time in a family unit that like they're able to let their guard down around each other and be vulnerable in a way that like feels very healthy and and like a very natural progression. Like it would be weird if some of them were still kind of standoffish or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, all of that works really well. Um, I would say Mantis and Nebula were the standouts for me, but everyone is great. Drax gets some great moments. Quill gets some great moments. Gamora, there's obviously a challenge there um, because of what happened in Infinity War. And I think he handles it as best he can, given the circumstances, even though it's kind of obvious that that was probably not the original plan. Um, But given that these are the cards he was dealt, I think he's he doesn't like run away from it or like contrive a reason to just somehow essentially like turn her back into other the Gamora that we know because that just wouldn't work in any organic way so he finds he finds a way to work with these changes and give her kind of a new a new place in the story that's different but still effective and still ties in with sort of the themes that are uh, running through the rest of the movie as opposed to uh, Thor show be, still being there, where I think he'd been on record being like, ah, Thor's not going to be in my movie. Like, figure that out. Yeah. Well, it was literally like, oh, Taika took the bullet for me because I didn't want to deal with that. Yeah, because Taika also didn't want him in The Guardian. So it was like, well, and you can really tell from that movie. It's just like, so like, I love that the Russos just set up that pairing and then none of the creatives involved with any of the characters <laughs> like wanted anything to do with it. Sure. Um, so, but I mean, it can't quite be a filmmaker friendly uh, studio when there's the big picture to keep in mind. Exactly. But that's what another thing that's great about Guardians 3 and the Guardians films in general is that they very much stand alone. Like, obviously, the Guardians have gone off and been in other movies and stuff. But each of the movies, like, you, you have to know a handful of things, but nowhere near like the fucking glossary you need at this point for things like Doctor Strange or, you know, a new Avengers movie. The Guardians... All, adventures are mostly pretty self-contained and if you've only seen like the films i would if i mean i don't know why you're listening to this and you still haven't seen it but if you're still wanting to see it and you haven't yet i would strongly recommend people watch the holiday special first because there is some information that i mean it's great it's great first of all and you should just watch it but there's also some information that like the movie does not like you know waste any time catching you up with that kind of stuff so if you're wondering why there's a dog in a spacesuit like hanging out on the base and talking to everybody like i mean she kind of just shows up in the holiday special too but like you know it it at least you know sets it up that she's going to be there i I literally got my cosmo information from the guardians of the galaxy video game oh sure from like a year or two ago yeah yeah um and Cosmos she's fun great, by the by way, way. yeah she, yeah she, i i liked i like the the bad dog running gag it's i mentioned that not- last week i'm glad that worked for you oh yeah top-notch dog riding like it, and again it's one of those things where james gunn's affection for like animals and wildlife and dogs like really comes through i mean it comes through in the rocket stuff which i'll get to in a second yeah. but um uh yeah like the the 
way that like it's not just like a goofy oh this is the thing a dog does it's like this like this thing that craglin said has like completely destroyed her world and like caused her an existential crisis (laughs) like it's it's, it feels very authentic in a way that's still very funny um the villain's great uh chukuri wuji gives a phenomenally scenery chewing performance I have some issues with the way the character is utilized, but generally speaking, it's nice to have an MCU villain again who, like, isn't, like, sympathetic to the point where, like, oh, if they would just stop killing people, they actually have a really good point. It's like, no, this guy's just a fucking bastard. Just just an awful, awful individual that, like, it's he's very easy to root against, but he's still compelling when he's on screen, which is not the easiest tightrope, and it's one that I feel like a lot of movies are, like, afraid to like it's been yeah. a we don't get as many great villains nowadays i feel like especially in like franchise stuff it's always like people who are sympathetic or like somebody who it's a twist so they're only the villain for the last like 30 minutes yeah. or whatever like things like that and like Corey? it's nice to get like a proper scenery chewing like just real awful human being that and you just want them bonus, to beat the shit out of he's a ceo too yeah exactly oh well there's oh man oh so you, you, you didn't like my my joke when you said only the villain in the last couple minutes and i said cory from halloween the, the, there were several layers to the joke you tried to make that like that's true all of them went over my head wait steve, <laughs> steve go back and tell me my joke was great again or wonderful whatever you said oh, last time i'll edit it in there we go just just isolate that audio and uh yeah. send it to me so i can have it whenever we need it for this yeah can, yeah can be a ringtone We'll play at the track. Um, okay, so real quick, um, um, and then uh, I can let Steve has thoughts. But um, yeah, rock. I mean, it's obviously a very rocket centric story. And okay, so here's where I do have to get into because I do have a few things. It's it's a great movie. It's emotionally resonant. The action is the action and the humor are both a little more sparse than they were in the first two. But um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that when it's funny, it's still very, very funny. We get the first MCU F-bomb, and I love that it's just like a moment of frustration. Like, it's not a big moment. It's just something that's very funny. Um, And uh, there's one action set piece in a hallway that's probably the best action scene that's ever been in the MCU. Like, it's up there, certainly. Um, And it's, again... James Gunn, you know, has so much affection for these characters and the way that he writes them and their interactions, but also in like the way they do the action scenes, like no two members of the team fight in the same way. And, you know, I feel like maybe that wasn't always the case. Like I remember when Nebula joined the team is kind of like, oh, well, she is she's that different from Gamora from a fighting standpoint. But no, you clearly see. I love her new arm, by the way. She's such a badass now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And they don't um, use it either. No, exactly. Like everyone's got like it's it's all very well balanced. Yes. Okay. So real quick, because I know I've 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 taken some time here. Um, the things that I don't love, I think, the stuff with Rocket's backstory, the scenes in isolation are really effective and really powerful. And even though you can tell almost as soon as they start exactly where this particular subplot is going. Um, It's still pretty devastating when it happens and it definitely leads to some, you know, pretty jaw dropping moments. Um, It's intentional. I think if it was, if he didn't kind of layer where it was going, I think it might be too much. Oh no. Oh no. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And you kind of already know, like through implications, sort of the broad strokes of what his backstory is. This is just filling in the details really. 
Um, all that stuff is great. And I, th- I think it also works because that's when the high evolutionary kind of has his best stuff in a lot of ways. Um, and where a lot of the, you know, uh, foundation of the character is laid. Um, and so that leads me to one of my two problems with the backstory stuff is that because most of the high evolutionary stuff is built around the rocket relationship and those flashbacks, there's a little bit of a disconnect between him and the flashbacks and him in the present day where he doesn't Mm. really know or care about the guardians and doesn't really have any kind of meaningful relationship with anyone but rocket. And, and that's not like, it's not a deal breaker, but it does have that weird element of like, you almost get the sense that like he has no idea who these people were and could care less right up until like they're actually fighting. But like his actions and the things that he's doing are a little disconnected from whatever the Guardians are doing for the vast majority of the film. Yeah, they kind of stumble um, upon what he's up to while searching out their issue. It, it, yeah, it's like all the individual scenes with him are great, but like the way he he feels sometimes feels like he's in a different movie than the rest of the characters maybe well he's in a movie from x number of years ago sure um and then the other element of that is just the way that the backstory is incorporated within the film i think creates some really pretty noticeable pacing issues um i mean never mind that it's the trope of you know that we saw used in book of boba fed of a guy is lying on a bed and remembering his memories and but they're all in chronological order but and only the audience is privy to the information so like sure. it's not even like the rest of the characters are being filled in it's just for us well, there's that one scene where they get to see the uh they see yeah the but it's like there is but it's like five seconds and it, it i don't know it that that to me wasn't quite enough like it was sure. the it felt a little try hard. I think Nebula even goes, this is worse than what Thanos did to me. Yes. Is it? it is does, it? It does. Because like we've it. seen Nebula's insides. She's like, yeah. like if she was ever an organic life form, like what's happened to her body is like nothing short of horrific. And like not to, you know, take away from what happened to Rocket, but like, I don't know. It, 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 it felt like they were trying to make up for lost time in terms of getting the other characters up to speed. Yeah, that could be like the one note that he got of like, you gotta, you gotta have them actually. I don't even think that's a studio thing. I think that's just him. Like he knows what parts of the story he's focusing on. I I, I just don't think it was that big of a priority, to be honest. Sure. Uh, Because he's focused on Rocket's his favorite character. He's made no secret of that. Yes. And he has um, make a movie about Rocket. Yeah. And so that's where his energy is. And I, I do feel like not that the other characters, you know, don't get the same love and attention because, of course, they do. But it just the rocket stuff is good and the stuff with the rest of the cast is good. But again, two separate movies a little bit sometimes. And it, and it's particularly jarring. Like there's the sequence where they um, where they uh, do the heist in the weird um, organic sort of corporate sort of situation. Yeah, yeah when they go fair. into a Cronenberg movie. Well, yeah, it's like Douglas Adams by way of David Cronenberg. Um, that's my but jam. like, oh yeah, no, and that whole bit is amazing. I love the design of all of that. Everything that happens there is great. Oh, Some really funny joke, sections. The running joke that Mantis makes uh, inopportune people fall in love with Drax. Oh yeah, big fan of that. Yeah. All the Mantis and Drax stuff, really, really solid. Great chemistry there. Um, but um, you, you get this weird pacing situation where like. 
there's the scene where like they set up what the heist is going to be and what they're going to do and who's going to do what. And these are the things they need to do. All right, everybody get ready. And now we have a rocket flashback. Yeah. And then we end the rocket flashback and then they start the heist. And it's just like, it's a little stop starty and it does kill the momentum a few times. And it also results in, because that's like the first two thirds of the movie, there can be stretches of it where it kind of just seems like stuff is happening, but like, outside of like the general like we got to get the thing to get the thing to get the thing to fix rocket like a lot of the moment to moment stuff it's like people are just kind of reacting to things and running around and doing stuff and eventually the plot kind of finds them in a way um so, so like, it's just uh, stuff like that but like like I like think adam the, and aisha uh well that's a separate thing and that's i mean it was clearly one of those things where they set it up and they had to do it and I know he's probably not the Adam Warlock that people were expecting from the comics. I really liked it personally because I think Will Poulter gives a very charming, uh, you know, sort of understated, not understated, but like sort of oblivious kind of performance. He's a dumb guy, but like in a different way than Drax is. Yeah, yeah like when he's been um, told to kill the uh, the animal, he's like, but uh, but I don't <laughs> like he's just wants to. Or when he actually, or kills like he the kills guy. that guy, yeah. and he's like, "Oh, I don't like the way that makes me feel." Actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I don't he's think just, I'm gonna do that anymore. He's a child, yeah, um, exactly. so it's like he's not a big part of the movie, and like it's easy to completely forget about him for long chunks of it. Uh, Aisha gets even less to do. It was very clearly like, um, like, oh, we do have Elizabeth Debicki in the universe, don't we? We should probably do something there. Yeah. Um, although it does have an all time great Elizabeth Debicki is six foot three scene when the high evolutionary has to stand on an apple box to talk to her. Yeah, I love that they just put the apple box there. Like they don't. Yeah, even, yeah. That's they've a got a guy. Yeah. Also, yeah. Oh no, that's great. Um. So yeah, I mean they're they're a very minor part of the film, but I I enjoyed them for what they were. Um. So yeah, I think I think it's just not quite as tight structurally and story wise. I think emotionally. It does all the heavy lifting it needs to. It gets the characters into a really interesting place. Um, and it, I don't know. It, it The emotional moments, it probably has more emotional moments than the other two movies. Yeah. And when they hit, they hit. Yes. Um, and yeah, there's, you know, <laughs> there's definitely sequences, especially throughout the third act that are really, if you're like, if you can easily get emotionally engaged with this kind of thing, it's going to get to you. Agreed. Um, so yeah, um, some issues, but overall a lot more good than bad. The stuff that works really works. Um, I think on balance, I think I still like the first Guardians the best, just because I think it's a tighter package and just kind of a more complete sort of thing. Whereas this is sort of more sprawling and messy, but the highs are really high. So I'd go one, three, two if I were ranking them. I agree. I might like it a little bit more than you. But I have a feeling Steve likes it more than both of us. Oh, well, I, the floor is yours. I, I think I do. Um, it, it had me at weirdo. Uh, as soon as the the opening scenes or scene with Rocket, with Creep playing, I was like, one of my all-time favorite songs. I'm like, all right, I'm in already. The soundtrack and places. Yes, Obviously. yes. Radiohead, BC Boys, Faith No More. My God, I, I, uh, it's like real quick, real quick. To to that point, actually, that was another thing I was going to bring up. And sorry, Steve, I didn't mean to interrupt. But right. um, but, but so generally to you guys, I just kind of have a question c- about the soundtrack because it is a great soundtrack, and the individual songs are really good. The needle drops, you know, Gun is one of the best in the business at this kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. second, probably only to Tarantino. 
Do you feel like there was maybe something missing by opening up the eras of the soundtrack? Because I do feel like that very specific pocket of like niche, like 70s B-sides that were the first two films soundtrack were kind of a big part of those films identities. And it's not that this is worse necessarily, but it is different, right? Yes, definitely different. And maybe lacks the charm of the nostalgia or at least the or at least the specificity maybe it it feels broader like i've heard of a lot more of these songs than had been the case with the first two films totally which isn't a bad thing it's again it's just different yeah yeah. it's not even um the songs themselves but the one thing that was a little jarring for me at the beginning was rocket with the with the zoom it just felt like a little strange that he would be like, yeah, music. Not that like he doesn't listen to music, but he is a, a space creature, essentially. So it was a little jarring. Like, oh, he's going to listen to Creep by Radiohead. Well, but except they... Uh, well, and you may not remember this because you haven't seen the second one in a while, but there's a, a very much a running thing throughout the second one that he's like fully embraced the music. Yeah, this like is, he's, he steals the the he's stealing the uh, the cassette player, right, or something like that to listen to it. No, well, well, he's setting up the speakers for the uh, for the Mister Blue Sky in the opening battle, and like everyone oh, yeah, else yeah. is saying, that, no, that's not a big priority. He's like, no, but I want to listen to tunes while we fight. Okay, and like yeah, yeah, yeah. He, when he and Yondu are like escaping from the thing, he even asks Craglin if there's some copies of the music so they can play music during the fight scene. Like they, they they've established by now that he's a music okay. guy. Okay, it just felt, and there's something about him holding the zoom that just felt well that's i mean the zoom itself as opposed to the uh the walkman is definitely a different vibe and again it's it's just it's part of the progression of the characters maybe it's you know the music has opened up in the same way that the characters have opened up you could make the argument but i just i i I don't know it just that was something to me where it's like all the music i like and it works but it does change the core identity a little bit not better probably not worse definitely different but sorry steve i didn't mean to cut you off Mm, sorry um yeah i liked it (laughs) i loved it actually i I thought it's the first marvel film that i walked out feeling like i'd seen a marvel film and not in the just in the quality and the and the spirit and the energy you know uh, i i walked away with a huge smile on my face i was excited like a kid again which is what some of the traits of of the earlier ones were, and mm-hmm. I feel recently, you know, as we I just I mentioned and we discussed the focus on trying to connect it to Phase Five and the you know the uh, the multiverse you know bullshit, um, which is fine, but that was always seems to be strips away a lot of the focus. Where this just goes in and tells you the story of you know the lovable misfits. And and wraps it up in a way that you know, just feels proper. You know, it's it's a proper ending. It's sentimental. They they definitely you know aim for the heartstrings and and hit it, but it doesn't lose any integrity along the way. Um, I enjoyed Rocket Story. I mean, re- literally from start to finish, I was like, I was just having a great time watching it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I did not maybe not a great time for some of Rocket Story. Yeah. 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 But still, I mean, okay. So. Not a great, but no, no, I know no definitely, I know but, but I was definitely, I, I was uh, appreciating what was on screen. I was invested. Yeah, I, I didn't sit there and, and spend time like some of the more recent uh, Marvel films thinking, 
you know, what was the decision here? Why, why are we doing this? Or couldn't you have done this better in different ways? I was just so involved in the story, which, um, you know, can, can be an issue. And it, it was definitely not. And I, I love the music. Um, I, you know, I, I, I love some of the corny moments. I don't want to give them away, but toward the end, there's this, you know, just fun. Oh, it's going to compare it to something that I don't think either of you have seen, but the end of Picard had something similar in a way. Okay. Um, with the characters just being the characters and you just sitting back and just going to take it in. Kind of reminded me of the end of what was that movie? Um, about day drinking. Yeah, oh, uh, another round? Another oh, round. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, you just have this smile on your face. Yeah, it's just just, just great to watch. Uh, but, you know, it, it's also one, though, that I want people to see. I want to discuss it. Yeah. I'm, 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 that, that energy, that excitement's back again. And I think Gunn doesn't just put out a, you know, a, a very – there's depth and there's layers to his stuff. And if you listen to him – he has answers for every question. Yep. Which is the way I want you know my films to be made. I want whoever it is behind it, you know, the director to know the characters inside and out, and he does, and he loves these characters, and it shows up on screen. Um, and the it, you're, as you're saying, some of the the action scenes were amazing. Some of uh, just some of the visuals, them wearing these these. Uh, primary and, and secondary colored bright spacesuits floating through space is just kind of, you know, one of those things that you could, you could frame on your wall and you'll always know where it's from because so the visually visual storytelling and style is just as strong as his, um, you know, his narrative storytelling. And I didn't have an issue with the rocket story being kind of pieced in throughout. I, I felt to me, it came across more like a book does, you know, where you go to a chapter and it stops and then you, you takes you to a different place in the world or could be, you know, could be different time or could be a place or it could be a different character. There's a, you know, a, a definite kind of stop and, and pause and mm. you get thrown into and, and it. And knowing what was going on there, you didn't want to go back there. And it was dark and it was nasty and you, you had kind of, just a, a you know grimy feeling because of of the horrific uh, things we're seeing. So I liked it. I don't know if you you know how you could possibly do it any other way. That it's you know not just being someone him speaking about it or too much exposition. No, no. But- I th- I think for me <clears throat> it's one of those things where I just needed it to connect to the main story a little better. Like maybe if there was some way that the rest of the team were seeing this stuff, uh, so they were getting key. Like I know they see the one thing, but that that felt like such a yeah. Such but a- I, I think this is I think this is rockets crossed to bear, and he thinks he holds it in, and he has for for two films or for several films. He. You know, he has uh, these memories and this stuff inside of him and he doesn't share it for a reason. So I think it's good that they were and they're only going to help him and everything about him is about who he is to them, not about his tortured past. So revealing it to them, I think, I don't know, I don't think it's necessary. Well, 
it, maybe not necessary. It's it's less about them knowing it and more about just it not feeling so disconnected from what's happening with the plot. Because the uh, plot is like they're breaking into the Orgo thing or they're breaking into the High Evolutionary or they're going to Counter-Earth. They're doing all these things. Mm-hmm. But then Rocket is kind of just off in a separate thing. It's, it's, it's again, the individual scenes are phenomenal. It's just the way that they tie together. Because what you're talking about with a book when you're reading a book, you you're the one setting the pace. You can, you know, just read a chapter a night. You can read the whole thing in one go. But a movie, the pace is set for you so that it, it, it maybe doesn't play quite the same way to me, at least. Yeah, I didn't have that issue. So, you know, that's fair. That's so fair. maybe it lands somewhere in between or on one side or, or the other. But, you know, I did not I didn't I didn't mind that at all. And all the positive what was going on. Um, I mean, the, the I think the Guardian films have some of the best writing. Because the characters, maybe it's because they're you know they're a walking ensemble, they have a, a team to work off of. But the way their chemistry um, from a character that you you know that's what when you were recasting it for the uh, earlier segment, <clears throat> uh, I think you know Drax needs that big personality, someone who can deliver the action but also the humor and, and some heart. And I think you know maybe you're <laughs> going back to the '90s casting, but. Um, I think it had to be like a Schwarzenegger type. It's got to be somebody mm-hmm. there because what he accomplishes, you know, is it surprises me. You know, and you it, he's another character too that you know, you know, his pain, and we don't don't know a ton of it. We don't get at least that I recall. We don't get a ton of it, but you know that's in there. But on top, also there's this big doof on the outside. It's like a huge heart surrounded with uh, with and little brain surrounded with this big massive body but i think what he does i think what cooper does i think uh uh karen gillian uh, gillian is as nebula uh has evolved and it's just i think someone said uh what was it the quote i saw on the on the trailer about the ending the perfect ending oh um, i know who did that <laughs> yeah i think i know the name i can't remember who it was but yeah. the the way it, it all closes out and not every, not, not all the loose ends are tied, but you, you, it, it, it didn't feel like they ended sometimes like a, a sitcom, especially, or a TV show. They wrap it up and go, all right, now we know the rest of the story. You don't know the rest of the story. They're all off on their own adventures. And in that way, it's great. It's kind of like fading off into the, or riding off into the sunset. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know they if we'll of, see all these characters their, or any of these characters. They kind of found their, their, their truth in a way. You know, yeah, I, I, yeah. I was very moved by what uh, what they said about Drax, which I guess we don't have to. We kind of avoided overt spoilers, so we'll, we'll we won't need to get into it. But yeah, that line about who Drax is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was, uh, that was really that good. Well, and surprised. honestly, the the scene that he has prior that sets up that line is yes. such a heartwarming moment. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I can't wait to see it again. I uh, I'm I'm going to take the family. We tried to go last weekend, but. It did not work out, and I was I was itching to see it, and now I'm itching even more because Excellent. it's uh, you know it's it's just a well done it's just a well done film, but it's a well done superhero film, and it's a, and it's a return to the Marvel uh, quality that I've been hoping for. Definitely. Well, it makes you feel the way that like back at like the height of things and like yeah. phase three, let's say back when each new one felt like an event as opposed to just like another piece of content. Yes, well, we we saw it. Feel. Yeah, we saw it in advance. So you're limited as to who and what you can say. But I was like, man, I walked out of the theater. And I wanted to text somebody I'm like, did you? And like, oh, wait, no one's seen this. So yeah. 
Um, and we saw, we did see it in IMAX though, which was oh, that a good was way to and see that it. was fantastic as well. Yeah. Um, so we're going to wrap up now. If you want us to talk more about it, feel free to leave a question about Guardians. We'll happily uh, continue. And I'm going to guide. Actually, you know what? You know what? Can I can I mix up the formula here real quick? Sure. Because I have a question that I want to pose to everyone <laughs> for our sign off question. All right. Because um, we kind of circle back to the 90s thing, sure. but um, th- th- that does relate to this. Um, so we can all say where we can be followed. Yes. And the question has come up on uh, uh, Twitter this week in the wake of the film. And I think it's something that it would be worth it for us to get into briefly. The notion of is this the best superhero trilogy ever made? And, you know. If so, yes. And if not, then what is? Okay. Uh, Steve, why don't you go first? Oh, I'm, well, I mean, I'm Miles going... usually goes first, but he, he posed the question. Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I'd have to think. I'm, I'm going through a, a few of them. Um, you know, Nolan's Batman or, Batman, or Dark Knight series. Um, yeah, that's one that I thought of. That's... So so that was that's usually been my go-to answer for a lot of... But I was thinking about it, and I think Zoe Bryan actually made this point, which is that if you actually look at that as a trilogy, the middle film is doing most of the heavy lifting there. Mm-hmm. Whereas I would I would maybe make the argument that each of the individual Guardians films, not only is it much, much more consistent and coherent as a trilogy, but each film, you know, fully stands up as a good film on its own, whereas... You know, one might argue that Batman Begins is a little spotty in parts and Dark Knight Rises. Obviously, people have their thoughts about. Well, you know, one thing unfair. One I get you. One unfair advantage. Oh, I like I like it a lot. But it's is it a good movie? Question mark. One unfair advantage is that the Guardians have had a lot of extra screen time, including a Christmas special. And how many films have they been in? So little pieces of their identity and, and who they are and their story have been conveyed without having the messiness of having exposition like by the way so and so so you're you know i'd have to watch them back to back to see how well it really I, really uh, flow together fair enough well say we can be followed uh you can follow me at film snork on twitter and letterboxd and uh, also give the verse a listen and uh it's at the verse cast on twitter we're supposed to have supposedly uh, we're working on some star trek interviews so that would be wonderful. Um, and also uh, keep an ear out for TV topics, which will be a, an awards radar podcast, which will be uh, covering TV and Emmys and so on and so forth. Uh, it's just going to start launching very soon, hopefully, probably, hopefully by next week. Um, but yeah, keep an eye out for it. I'm sure it'll be on awards radar and Twitter and everywhere else, but that's about it. Fair enough. Uh, you can find me at Joey Magazine, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, uh, all that stuff. Uh, Awards Radar is on many of those. And I mm-hmm. will uh, I will say, I'll go with the Marvel Spider-Man movies. Oh. Because oh. I, I love Homecoming. It's my favorite of the three. And I real I think it is. No Way Home and it are pretty equally mm-hmm. ranked. So what I've noticed with a lot of these is the second movie is the weakest of the group. So well, that's what I was going to say, because I, I did think about that Spider-Man trilogy, because Homecoming and No Way Home are both really, really solid. And I think the only thing is Far From Home is solid, but, I, but it is a bit of a dip down for me compared to the other two. And I think that's what, whereas Similar like Guardians 2 for me. 
Whereas no. like we're we're talking MCU rankings, all three of the Guardians films are in my top ten, whereas only two of the Spider-Man films are. So that maybe like pushes Guardians over the edge for me. Because I think it's possible that Spider-Man all three are in mine. Um the two are. You know, um I know Captain America is a popular one for people. I I Civil oh, War is my you. favorite of the group, but it doesn't really get there for me. See, um, I like the second two, but that first one is so rough, I think. Sure. So here, let me I have Homecoming at number two. For the MCU. I have No Way Home at number four. So it's got to be. It's got to be that answer. And then I have Far From Home at eight. So yeah, all three of them are in the top ten for me. So that's my answer. Yeah. Okay. Though I have, Fair enough. Though I have. I also have all three of the Avengers. Uh, uh, three of the four. Well, but there's four of it. Exactly. But, well, it's if not I, really a pretend, trilogy, is it? If I can pretend Ultron doesn't exist. Well, yeah. If Ultron didn't exist, then the Avengers might be it. But Yeah, because um... Ultron is... All the Bad. way down <laughs> at 26. Though I will say... Oh, 28 um, for me. Uh, volume 2 of Guardians is a 22 for me. Oh, wow. See, that's 10 for me. Well, I mean, uh, here, quickly, as we as we wrap up. The only ones that are rough, again, and we do this every time. 32, Thor, The Dark World. 31, The Incredible Hulk. 30, Iron Man 2. 29, Thor. 28, Eternals. Those are the ones that I'm like... Mm-hmm. I would even 20. put th- I would put Thor above any of those. The first Fair. Thor is solid. Well, twenty seven. Yeah, I, I, like I have Iron Man three at twenty seven. I have Ultron Ultron twenty six. First Avenger twenty five, and then we're off to the races, pretty much. So I have I have Guardians Volume two one above Black Widow and one under Quantum Mania. Just for reference's sake, and then oh jeez, that's really low. Volume three at thirteen, and the OG Guardians at eleven, just outside the top ten. Okay, oh, I've got well. I've got two at ten. Uh, volume three is at seven, and First Guardians is at five. So they're all within the five to ten range. All right. Yeah, I have to go rank them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you can do that for next week if you want. We'll go over our rankings next week, perhaps if there's a a question provoking us in some way. Miles, you get to wrap up. Say we can be followed and uh, give your thoughts. Oh yeah. Uh, so you can follow me on both Twitter and Letterboxd at Miles on Film. That's M-Y-L-E-S on Film. Please check out my short films, American Exorcist and Once Upon a Dracula. They are both on YouTube under Aftershock Pictures and Chase Capo, respectively. Um, I've obviously put some thought into it since I posed the question. I think I will go Guardians um, because I think it just it is the most coherent tr- uh, trilogy. I-, I hear what you're saying, Steve, about like they have a lot of extra Avengers in other movies, but like, let's say you were comparing it to the Captain America trilogy. Yeah. If you're only watching Captain America's films, you're not even getting half of his story. Whereas the guardians films, I think you can watch them in isolation and outside of like a few details between movies that they mostly fill you in on you. You're still pretty good to go. But also you have one director, one vision. Yeah. See, I, even Spider-Man, I don't know that I agree with that because you got Iron Man and Nick Fury and like and then you've also got like all the characters from previous Spider-Man films in the third one that you have you to can, know about. So kind of get around. I, I get what you mean. But I think I think in terms of time, I, I think out of all. Sure. No, I mean, listen, he's my favorite live action Spider-Man. Yeah. But um, I think as a trilogy, it, as a thing that can work on its own. The Guardians movies almost by design have always been the kind of things where they don't really tie in as much and they'll reference sure. Thanos and they'll talk mm-hmm. about things that happen. Well, but like there's the, one the stuff of them interacting with the rest of the world. That's not what James Gunn is doing. The one, yeah, Miles, I'm not, the one off screen exception is, is Gamora. 
she is suddenly dead in the third one. Yeah. But well, she, well, but even then she's back and they have dialogue explaining more or less what happened. A little bit, yeah. So, Miles, I'm not sure if I disagree with you at all. I, I think um, it, it, Guardians is definitely in the race. It, it might it, it might be my, my pick as well. But the having Gun helm all three, and obviously, I mean, it seems like he avoided purposely squeezing this into or, or squeezing in any elements of the uh, the rest of the MCU. You know, he kind of right. kept it self-contained. So it, it's we're lucky as as viewers that he had that opportunity because they could have made this just another, you know, attachment to the MCU, which it really not much of it forces it. So forces it to be so. It can be told on its own. There are a few few things explained, but that kind of happens with every superhero film. So, um, yeah, it's, I, par for, it's par for the course, especially within the MCU. Yeah. So I, I'm, I, I think, you know, I think Gunn's uh, vision and being going out and making all three is, uh, is the secret sauce. So I'm going to go with, with guardians as well mm, before I lose sauce. my voice. Yes. <laughs> um, I need to go to bed. So we're going to wrap up now and uh, we'll be back next week. We will uh, have more of those interviews that we, we previewed. And uh, more Guardians talk if it warrants. So make sure you see it if you haven't. Very clearly we're recommending it. And uh, we will see you at the movies. Take care. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and to visit awardsradar.com for the best in awards and entertainment content.